Let's go. Good morning, everyone. Today is September 11th, a day that is mixed in the U.S. and a lot of other parts in the world, remembered for the 9-11 attacks back in 2001. Um, it's also my friend Margaret's birthday, which is a far happier association, so I'm excited to say happy birthday, Margaret, darling. I hope it's a wonderful day for you. She's going to be here to visit me next week, so we'll do actual celebrating then. And it is 8.20, and today we are, I'm not yet having my warm drink, because we are going on a walk. We are going on a preemptive walk with Jackson. He's got to stop and roll in a little patch of dirt here. He has been just wild. Wildcat lately. Oops. I don't know what, I guess it's just fall, but this morning David said that Jackson would be jailbreaking early on in the day, and I agreed. I actually had to lock him in the guest bath where he couldn't break anything while I was running on the treadmill because he was jumping up on shelves and knocking things off to get my attention. It's a bad cat, people. Come on, let's go. So I have him on his harness and his leash. And he's a little confused because usually this only happens when he bullies me into it. But we are going for a little run. I figured I could just talk to you all while we did this. Grace Draven, my friend who also writes fantasy romance, calls me a crazy cat jogger, which is fair. I did a, David took a video of me jogging with Jackson once. He likes to put on big bursts of speed and pretend that he's getting away from me, and then I run along behind. It's like having a toddler, you know, you've got to burn off their energy if you want to get any work done for the day. But walking a cat is not like walking a dog, because here we go, off the road into the shrubbery. Uh, dogs can be persuaded to continue more or less directly on the journey, whereas cats are totally into hunting, I guess. They want to go prowling through the brush and sniff the things. I know that, I mean, we used to have dogs. We used to have Border Collies. So I know that dogs can do the same thing, that they'll always want to follow after scent trails. And you can then persuade them to back on the route. I don't know if that's like that, More that dogs are more domesticated and you can kind of bully them into obeying better than you can a cat. I can make Jackson obey. I just try to indulge him a little bit. Right now he's looking at some birds. I think one of the things that's happened is the quail had that new batch of chicks. They often have a second batch in the spring. I don't know if batch is the correct word. Jackson, we're not going all the way over to that house. Come on. Have to try to avoid encroaching on other people's territories here. Come on. Come on. 
Oh, I'm going to have to gather him up. Uh, now, this may not work because I keep losing my train of thought. You are not going over there. He has a pretty long lunge leash, so it takes a bit to gather him up. We're not going over to that house, Jackson. Come here. All right. I've picked him up, and we can go back up to the road. <clears throat> yeah, I think... Um, you know, a lot of it comes down to the fact that dogs have been domesticated much, much longer than cats have. Uh, you know, when you look at these things as far as uh, adaptation, which happens over, you know, thousands of years or longer, geologic time. Um, whereas cats are still mostly wild. And they have not been bred to obey in the same way that dogs have. You know, dogs were domesticated fairly early on in human history. Come on, let's go this way. He's back on his feet. Oh, having another dust roll. That's good. I don't think anybody... I don't know. Maybe there's resources on this, but I don't think anyone knows exactly how long dogs have been domesticated, but I think there's certainly evidence that, you know, back to um, maybe even when Neanderthals, when the groups of humanity were still more divided, not blended into one, that they had dogs that, you know, helped with guarding the camps and with hunting. We're going down the road, and he's still trying to get down to where he spotted those quail chicks. That's what I started to say, was that the quail chicks, the quail moved the quail chicks to a location where there were not marauding cats. And Jackson really wants to get at them. He knows exactly where they are, and he won't forget. He gets totally worked up. That's that feline hunting instinct. They're amazingly efficient hunters. You know, people laugh about cats being so lazy. But the reason that cats are, appear to be lazy is that they can be. Because they sleep, sleep off their food because it doesn't take all that long for them to hunt and get their prey. This, of course, all goes wonky once we talk about domestic putties. They've had two breakfasts this morning tell you they're just wild and worked up both kitties were acting hungry even older kitty Isabel when she asks for a second breakfast then I know that it's a, a real thing Jackson's always ready to eat more but I think a lot of it's this turn of the seasons the nights are getting a lot colder and the kitties are really feeling that metabolic urge to eat more and den up so I know that this phase will not last long. What did you find in there, Jackson? No, you found a snake hole? Mm-hmm, that's pretty cool. <laughs> no, what is it with cats putting their paws down holes? What if it's a snake hole and not a mouse hole? Hmm, what about that? Okay. We're going hunting back this way. 
Come on. So I don't know if, um, you know, maybe humans tried to domesticate cats and it didn't work. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely well documented that cats have not been domesticated as long. And they are. That's why, um, you know, it can be interesting that big cats, when you see their behavior in the wild, how similar it is to our domestic putties. Our domestic putties are not far off of them. So, I made it through a lot more of the orchid throne yesterday. Not as much as I wanted. I think I was thinking I could get through a hundred pages or more, whatever I was bravely declaring yesterday. And I think I made it through 67. Um, so it'll probably take me today and tomorrow to finish. Depends. Maybe today will go faster. Um, I did have a couple of delicate scenes to tweak. I might be tweaking more than I need to. I think my editor's getting worried because she's like, really, it's so good as it is. <laughs> I um, I do have perfectionist tendencies. I've done a pretty good job, I think, of ruling, you know, eliminating them or controlling them. I, I really try to, you know, I think that um, perfectionism can be a destructive and paralyzing thing. Uh, you know, you don't start projects because you're worried that they won't be perfect and you never finish them because they're not perfect. And, you know, that's not, it's not healthy. And I had a lot of trouble in graduate school struggling with that, not being able to finish my thesis. And I had to find other ways to work in order to write novels. And, boy, you know, a huge part of getting good at writing novels is accepting that it's an incremental process and that you can go through and tweak it. Um, otherwise, you never get that first draft written. You know, some people call it the vomit draft, which I don't really like. I don't know. Vomit to me is never... It, vomit is probably my moist, you know, and, and now they have people vomit in movies all the time, and it's just like, why? Why do we have to have this? Because it's disgusting, I guess. <laughs> At any rate, some people call it the vomit draft. I don't understand what's wrong with rough draft. Um, maybe it didn't, rough draft doesn't sound rough enough to some people. But that first draft is rough, and you get through it by assuring yourself that you can go back and fix things. Um, you know, that's, that's the, whole, the whole secret to the universe, or to the universe of being a writer anyway, is that you can go back and fix it. Otherwise, and I know, you know, we all do this, you get to that point and you don't know what you should write, you don't know what they should say, and you think, oh, it's wrong. You know, and some people say, oh, well, when I get stuck, that means that I, I shouldn't make that silly voice. No, never mind. They don't know who they are. When I get stuck, I know that that means I've taken a wrong turn. So I go back and figure out where I went wrong. I don't believe that. I'm, I don't ever do that. I think you get stuck because you get stuck sometimes. And a lot of times it's right before you have a breakthrough. So I think the worst thing you can do is 
go back. I also don't believe in wrong turns, though. Um, I think in life or in writing, you know, we take the turns we take and you do them for the best reasons that you can and you follow the feeling of the moment and and then you take what you have there and you go with it. We're having a little rest break in the shade here. You're just going to lay on those rocks? Well, if you're done running, let's go back. Let's go back to the house. Come on. That's probably something else that dogs don't do, right? Dogs don't pause and lay down on some rocks and wait to see if a mouse is going to come out. All right, we'll see how this preemptive strike walk worked. Let's see if he's a little bit more settled today and more willing to stay around the house and not try for the jailbreak. He's acting all subdued now. I definitely ran him for a little bit there, so... Also, the uh, being locked in the bathroom settled him down. It kind of broke his cycle of being wild pretty. All right. I think we can stake him out now. So anyway, I think that it's better to follow, just follow the twists and turns, and then know that you can always go back and fix them. And for me, this, this stage of revision... If I'm work, especially working with a new editor, I decide, well, I kind of ran out of time, too. There is that. But I also didn't want to um, revise too obsessively working with a new editor just in case she wanted something really different from me. You know, if I invested a whole lot of time into revising the story and then she wanted a totally different revision, that wouldn't have been the best use of my time and effort. So this is my major revision and you know I just like to go through and smooth things out and tweak them and and I do indulge my perfectionism a little bit at this level um, you know some people do it at like the I'm going to the tea kettle here some people do it at the stage of like proofing and copy edit. Some people do it at every stage, which, you know, hey, that's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting for me to think about. Um, you know, and for me, you know, like copy edits, I never fight commas. I don't care about commas. I will occasionally fight word choice. Depends. For the most part, though, I, uh, yeah, I'm not going to have... I... I mostly worry about the story. I mostly worry about making sure that all of the internal logic makes sense and that the world building makes sense and that I answered questions. I was having an interesting conversation with Corrine. Oh, who, by the way, sent me this long message defending herself because yesterday I carelessly said that she loves everything and I apologize and I was wrong, Corrine. Uh, she does not love everything. It's true. She uh, goes on many bookish rants on her blog, which is Pearl's Cast Before McPig, something like that. It's on Blogger. You can find it probably from that. I'll even give a link. Uh, and she has told me things that she thought were not perfect, not exactly right in my books, and she gave me several examples, and they were mild ones, people, but... But she's right. She did tell me things that she thought weren't right. So, uh, yes, she just 
happens to love my books, which is one of her most charming characteristics. I love anybody who loves my books. And <laughs> so anyway, Karina, pursuant to this, where she was, had ranted about a book um, that was YA in which she did not like the world building. She felt like the world building really was flawed. And I asked her if she thought that there's more tolerance for incomplete world building in YA than in other books. And she said, yeah, actually, that would make a lot of sense because like 90% of the books she could think of where she really had a problem with the world building, they were YA. And I think that's because the the story dominates in YA rather than um, you know, people just don't think about the world logic in the same way that maybe more hardcore fantasy readers do. Yeah, because, I mean, that was part of the reason I asked her is that I'd certainly had that experience that I've read a couple of very popular YA fantasy series and the the problems in the world building and internal logic really got in the way. I, one book I had to stop reading because it annoyed me so much. Uh, yeah, you know, it's... But apparently that's not what those books are trying to do and they are doing something that touches readers, so... That's what's most important, right? So, but for me, my books are not YA, even though occasionally someone tries to put them in YA. I think because they have, like, female protagonists who are sometimes young, I don't know. Um, it's, a, it's a conundrum there. So, anywho, I think that I shall sign off a little bit short today, but that's good because I ran a little long yesterday. And I'm going to dive in and uh, wish me luck. I think that, um, who knows, maybe I'll go screamingly fast today and finish all remaining 212 pages. Do we believe that? Is it really 212? Let's go look. Sorry, I started to sign off. You were all ready to hit the button. And I gave you a red herring there. Let's see here. Oh, I only have 150 pages to go, woo, woo, woo. which is why, but I have been aver averaging around 60, so uh, it might take me two days. We'll see. It could happen. It could totally happen. Anyway, I hope you all have a wonderful day. Uh, I hope that it is all the good things and none of the bad, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. <laughs>